Good day to you, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Film Focus, episode 120, Video Game Adaptations, part 2. Ladies and gentlemen of the North, South, East and West and welcome to another episode of Film Focus. I am your host, the Hypersonic 55 and I'm glad that you decided to join me once again for some film related discussion. And I know it's been a long time coming, but I'm finally returning with part 2 of video game adaptations. Now for those not aware, this is an ongoing series where I talk about live action adaptations of video game properties. Part 1 was done back in November where I discussed the first wave of adaptations in the form of Super Mario Bros, Double Dragon, Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat 1 and 2. Back then there wasn't really much to work with when it came to the adaptations that came to screen. However, things started to change in a very short space of time when video games started adopting 3D graphics on consoles like the PlayStation 1, N64, Sega Saturn and some other consoles like the 3DO but we don't really talk about that one. And then by the time we moved into the 2000s that's when things got really interesting as it was a fascinating era for video games but also their adaptations. For video games we saw the hardware improve and developers go further with their ability to tell stories that had depth and more meaning. While on the graphics side there were improvements that meant the visual presentation could be more ambitious and cinematic. As for the adaptations themselves I feel like they are where comic book films were in the 90s where there was a bunch of them being made left right and centre based on properties that you may have heard of to ones that were pretty obscure and they really fluctuated in quality but never rose above being just okay. They were, like I said, just okay at best but bloody awful at worst. So between the year 2001 to 2010 there were 20 notable adaptations that came out of Hollywood and in this episode I will cover 17 out of the 20 of them because one, Postal was practically invisible and I don't think that many people really care about that one and Yui Bowl's adaptations of In the Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale and Far Cry, they were both available on Amazon Prime for a little bit but once they disappeared I was very thankful and I chose to take that as a sign not to watch those because I had already watched three of Yui Bowl's films beforehand and they nearly killed me man. So I was like you know what, yeah no thank you. So while there's a lot to cover I'm not going to be doing too big of a review for each film, I'll be doing sort of mini reviews and talk about them not only as adaptations but how they are as films in general and I'll try to highlight how they relate to their video game properties as a representation of the source material. But keep in mind I haven't played games in all of these franchises, this is actually the sort of grey area where I haven't really played as many of these game franchises as opposed to the first wave and the next set of video game films I'll be talking about in the sort of newer era slash current era that we're in right now. So forgive me if I am not like, you know, 100% accurate in terms of my talking about certain things. But with that being said, strap in ladies and gentlemen and we're going to start talking about this stuff. Alright, so let's get this whole thing started with our first adaptation in the form of Lara Croft Tomb Raider, which was released in 2001 starring Angelina Jolie. And Tomb Raider wasn't a bad choice for an adaptation. We hadn't seen a major video game adaptation since Mortal Kombat Annihilation in 1997 and we all saw how that one ended so we needed something fresh and palatable and tangible for the Hollywood treatment and 
Tomb Raider wasn't a bad choice. At the time, you'd had at least four games in the franchise which you could have used as a base for this new adaptation. You had a protagonist which was one of the hottest people in the video game industry at the time and i'm not talking about her looks it's just that she was a cultural phenomenon and there's not many video game icons that rise to popularity in the same way that she did she was everywhere so for her to translate into live action definitely would have you know made sense and i know there was some controversy at the time about like the casting of angelina jolie but she definitely had the look so yeah man i mean like everything was poised to work out However, we all saw how the film ended up. It was critically negative for the most part, although it did make a certain amount of money as well. And it starred a pretty interesting cast of people, some people that would go on to be a lot bigger later on down the line. Especially when you've got like Ian Glenn and Daniel Craig in there as well, which I didn't know these guys were in here until I looked it up and I'm like, oh wow, man, you know, Game of Thrones, dude, you got Rimmer in there. You got Daniel Craig before he became Bond, it's mad. But yeah, no, it was really fun to see some of these guys in like some of these earlier periods or just see them in roles I hadn't expected. It was also pretty interesting to see John Voight as Lara Cross's dad when, you know, this is actually her real dad. So they're playing uh, father and daughter in real life as well as in the movie. So that was pretty fun. But yeah, you know, just as a film, uh, you know, it's it had its elements, but it just didn't come together too well. This film basically took the general elements of, I'd say, probably the first three Tomb Raider games in terms of some of the places and established lore, but then mixed it up into its own sort of thing. So it involved Lara Croft racing against time to get some ancient artifacts from this group known as the Illuminati, because there was this big event that was going to occur that only happens every 5,000 years, and you had to get the planets to align and all this other sort of crazy malarkey. And like I said, there were some interesting elements in the story for sure. Now, some of the action sequences were nicely choreographed. I like some of the locations. And there was some intrigue and mystery. But just, it's not a very good video game film because it takes some of its source material and then just mangles it a little bit. And then just as a film in general, it's just a bit of a mess to be honest. As per usual, there's a magical MacGuffin that has the power to end the world, but the heart of the film is pretty much about Lara and her missing father who she misses and she just wants to get him back. But there's some lessons to be learned about like um, power that should be controlled, loss is inevitable, and time is constant. You know, all those sort of things. There's a lot of basic cozy adventures that you've come to expect with some of these story elements. But yeah, man, I definitely appreciated some of the attempts to try and make this into a video game adaptation. They took a good few elements from the games in terms of the globetrotting, checking out certain tombs, Lara's athleticism, and, you know, like I said before, Angelina Jolie definitely had looks. She looked great in the movie. Although the camera seems to be very obsessed with checking out her body on a few occasions, which made me feel uncomfortable. But yeah, I had a good few issues with the movie. Firstly, the accents of some of the people were off. Daniel Craig has an American accent that doesn't sound great. But then you have Lara's accent, which it varies between being kind of posh, but then it just doesn't sound all that authentic. It's just one of those sort of things. As an English person, you can tell when someone's putting on an accent and it just doesn't work, and hers didn't. The use of certain lingo felt forced. The action sequences 
while some of them were decent, some of them were really over the top and weirdly done, and some of the overuse of CGI was just uh, unpleasant. And I couldn't help but feel like one of the fights in a tomb with these stone statues kind of reminded me of the mummy, except they did it worse in this case. And the ending, what the hell happened with that? There's this one point where Lara and like the main bad guy, she basically looks like she killed him, but then he somehow comes back and they have a fist fight for some reason while the area around them is crumbling and smashing up. And then she happens to escape with some husky dogs, I believe, or just in some sort of weird skiing sequence, but it cuts so abruptly. We don't actually see her escape. It just cuts and then she's back to her house. I'm like, what the hell happened there? I want to see the rest. But anyway, as the first major adaptation, it doesn't leave the best impression. All right, so moving on to the following year. In 2002, we had the adaptation of the survival horror franchise, Resident Evil. This new film was made by Paul W.S. Anderson. Yes, that same one that made Mortal Kombat from the year 1995, starring Mila Jovovich. And this film basically creates its own sort of story from the elements of the first two Resident Evil games and has a new protagonist in the form of Alice, who is a lady who doesn't really remember who she is, but she ends up hooking up with a group of commandos as they attempt to contain an outbreak of a virus in an underground facility. And yeah, man, I mean, I have some mixed thoughts on this film because I've seen it a couple times prior to re-watching it again. On the one hand, I appreciate the effort that went into the filmmaking and the references to the video games, but on the other hand, the filmmakers didn't go deep enough with the source material and what you're left with is an action horror film with a not so interesting story and unlikable characters. I will admit that the film started out pretty slow and it was a little dull and generic, but once the zombies started showing up, it definitely got a little bit more interesting and learning the mysteries surrounding Alice's memories and who she was, it definitely started making the story a little bit more interesting. By the end, I was more engaged than I expected to be, but I couldn't help but feel like I wanted more from it. It's not nearly as bad as some of the other films that had come before it, and some of the films that would come after it in the video game department. The cast, the cast do what they can with the material that they're given, but it doesn't excuse some of the bad line delivery and some of the performances. And it also doesn't help that so many of these people are so one note and boring. None of them really have any redeeming qualities or meaningful dynamics or interactions. So when a number of them die, I'm just like, okay, well, you know, bye. The action wasn't bad. Some of the stuff was well choreographed. Some of it was a little crazy and stylish, but this was very restrained compared to the Resident Evil films that will come after this. So I appreciated it. When it comes to its ties to the video game franchise itself, this film does at least a decent job of representing the Umbrella Corporation as this big shady organization that is up to no good, has its fingers in a lot of pies and is very expansive. And I also appreciated how they handled Raccoon City as a place full of dread and terror and there's a lot of crazy stuff that's gone down especially towards the latter side of the film i was getting resident evil 2 vibes especially there's certain elements of resident evil the first one but this feels definitely more in the vein of resident evil 2 where there's a lot more action involved and less horror and while i can understand a film's need to differentiate itself from this source material and tell its own story you have to come up with a product which is just as good, if not better, than what came before. 
But when you have a version which is just another R-rated action film with style of a substance, it's hard to justify why this film exists. In the end, it's just a bit of a mixed bag. And in 2003, we returned to the realm of Tomb Raider with Lara Croft Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life. I still feel like that title was a bit of a mouthful and they could have condensed it. As expected, Angelina Jolie returned in the titular role while her supporting characters from the previous film, Noah Taylor and Chris Barry, came back to assist her in this film. While the rest of the cast was stripped and changed for a bunch of new people, including Gerard Butler and Kieran Hines and Jaiman Honzu, who's actually one of my favorite dudes. So yeah, this film had a change of directors. You had Jean Dupont. I know I probably butchered that name, but forgive me. He was the guy that directed Speed 1 and 2, Twister, and was the cinematographer Die Hard. So he definitely had his talents in the action department. So upon first impressions of the film after it was over, I would definitely say it was an improvement over the previous film in the sense that the plot was way more coherent and made sense. Tonally, it was a little bit more serious, which I enjoyed. The music, aka the film score, was significantly better. The villain was also 100% better, and the action scenes were less goofy. That being said, there was a sense of playfulness and otherworldliness that the previous film had that I feel like this one lost. It just felt a little plain. One review online put it best. The first film was dumb fun, but this one's just plain dumb. And that's not to say that this film is, you know, crap by any means there's a lot worse films on this list coming up believe me but i just found myself just going through the motions with this one there were certainly interesting things that were done with the story and certain elements of lara's character that i enjoyed over the previous one but there was something about the previous film despite a lot of its nonsensical elements that had a certain appeal to it that sort of had more of the elements of the PlayStation games that I kind of enjoyed with those sort of wackier, larger-than-life, crazy stories that, you know, you wouldn't expect to be part of a Tomb Raiding adventurous game, but it really does work, but they just didn't find a way to make it work in the previous film, and I feel like they just stripped out more of those crazier elements in terms of a more straightforward action-adventure kind of film, and it kind of works, but... Mm, it's not so fancy for me. So the plot of this film involves Lara on a journey to basically grab the Pandora's box, this ancient artifact before this crazy evil villain guy tries to unleash it on the world. But she needs help, so she enlists the help of an ex-mercenary in order to, you know, sort out this whole situation. And that's basically the plot without going into the area of spoilers. I did appreciate how this film started out. Not so much that wedding scene, but how we got straight into the action with Lara and a bunch of uh, dudes going into this sort of secret underground cave to retrieve an artifact but they were attacked by I believe they were like pirates and stuff there was a lot of shooting danger there was tension the music was really good and Lara was left in a situation where her oxygen tank had been punctured so she was trying to swim to the surface and you know it was really um tense because you're trying to figure out how she's going to get out of this so i was enjoying that but then the film committed this awful sin of having lara cut herself and then try to get a shark to get its attention punches the shark in the face and rides the shark up to the surface i'm like what the hell is this foolishness from there i was skeptical of the plot and luckily nothing ever gets as silly as that but oh god it was just so annoying i'm like what is this foolishness 
But yeah, I would say the strongest elements of this film was the connection between Lara and her ex-lover, played by Gerard Butler. They have a good connection. I'd also say Kieran Hines as the villain definitely had a more intimidating factor, and you can see why he's such a good actor and how he ended up being one of the standout people in Game of Thrones during the time that he was on there. And the film score, oh, that is my favorite thing about this film, bar none. Now, I'm biased because it's done by Alan Silvestri, and if you know, he's one of my all-time film composers. He's one of my all-time favorite film composers, essentially. But, um, yeah, I just feel like he has a great sense of epicness when he comes to making music. He creates stuff that has a nice sense of adventure and grandness to it. And it reminded me of The Mummy Returns and The Avengers, but in a good way, you know? The cast were fine. And I have no complaints about that. It's more so just the way in which their characters are written. Again, I find myself in this situation where I'm just like, uh, I guess I kind of care what happens with you guys, but it's more so because of the actors who's playing them rather than how they're being handled in the story. And the one thing I really didn't care for was this whole relationship thing going on with Lara. Now, I don't have a problem with Lara having a relationship, but the fact of the matter is in the video games, it was never really a big issue. Lara just ran around doing adventures. She didn't need no man or woman, so why was this such a thing presented in not only the last film, but this one? Because in the last film, she had like weird, flirty sexual tension with Daniel Craig, and in this film, her and Gerard Butler have a history and they had a previous relationship, and it's trying to play into this whole thing towards the end of the movie where he ends up being in a position where he's in her way and she basically has to try and take him out and it's supposed to be this super emotional moment but I'm like I don't care about this guy get him out of here as for how it relates to the video games I feel like this film definitely takes its time to you know slow things down explain a few more things we still have that whole globe trotting element from the video games it feels like there's a little bit more research involved which Lara tends to do in the games on a couple of occasions and the Pandora's box is definitely one of the sort of crazy ancient artifacts that feels like it comes from the video games in some way, shape or form. But I feel like some of the more crazy elements that was presented with the previous film was more in line with the games than this one is. This film feels incredibly reserved. And while I researched online that there was apparently a lot of studio meddling when it came to the director and his vision because there was a studio the people working on the games and him trying to create a film it just didn't come together in the way in which he wanted it's just a shame because the thing is this film has a lot of elements that work and the last film despite being a nonsensical mess has elements that work as well i feel like there is a happy middle ground between the two of them but it just didn't work out also in 2003 we had the classic house of the dead from director yui bowl yes that yui bowl if you're familiar with film to a great degree then you will be aware of this man and his infamous films that he's created over the years that fill you with all sorts of humor or dread or both depending on what your position is in that department house of the dead is one of those sort of films that i heard about but i didn't believe it was going to be as bad as it was it's kind of hard to start with this mess because it is just awful is one of the most painful experiences of my life not only as a video game adaptation but also as a film in general this feels like a precursor to all those crappy sci-fi and asylum films that we'd be getting from the late 2000s onwards it has all the makers of a bad film but not in a good way 
it's just full on bad. And just when you think it can't get any dumb or worse or more painful, the film one-ups itself and you're just like, ah! So I was just pausing the film on numerous occasions to take notes, but it was also for me just to try and process what the hell I was seeing. The plot of this film, straight up, you have a group of dumbass college students who want to travel to a mysterious spooky island to attend a rave that's supposed to be the rave of the year. However, once they get to the island, it's soon taken over by zombies and, you know, chaos ensues. And, that, and that's it. That's all you need to know. Straight from the outset, I knew this film was going to be bad when you had one of the characters narrating the film, recounting what happened. So you had a sort of non-linear story. However, the way in which it's set up, you see the end of the film at the start of it, but there was no sort of mystery or ambiguity to the way in which you got to that point. It wasn't really that interesting. So by the time you get to the end of the film, you're just like, oh, well, I know exactly who was going to die, how the story is going to play out. It was... <laughs> uh... Anyway, when it comes to the characters, they were all awful. None of them have any depth or personality. These are your straight up basic, basic people that you'd see in those really crappy horror movies from many, many moons ago. But again, it's somehow worse than you'd expect. They're all basic archetypes of characters typical of the horror genre, especially slashers. None of them are likable, so you don't care what happens to them. And they also lack common sense. They all have dumbass quotes, and they're all horny, and they all want to, you know, shag and all that kind of stuff. It's just, ah, uh, I, I, I just look at these people, and I'm just like, you know, none of you are long for this world, so bye now, so I don't have to say it to you later on. I also can't get over how basic this film looks. The presentation is awful. It looks like it's a TV film. There's nothing about this film that feels cinematic. All the shots look flat, there's nothing enticing or pleasing to the eye, no dynamic camera angles, really weird editing, and random snippets of the original House of the Dead video game that are used in transitions between scenes, and it makes no sense! And for the rave itself that these guys are going on about, it's the cheapest looking rave I've ever seen. It looks like there's only like 20 people there listening to really crappy music with random girls dancing on a stage. There's barely any lights. There's no sense of scale to it. I understand that this film was made on a budget. I do. But if you're going to make something on a budget, do not overextend yourselves. Do not create something that you do not have. It's a painful experience over and over, and this extends to the actual zombies themselves, which, granted, when there were certain moments where they were hidden behind, like, you know, shadows and in low light, at a distance they didn't look that bad, and there were tiny moments where they were trying to create, um, you know, suspense and tension, but once everything just gone out into the open, we go into full-on shooting mode, this film goes for it in the worst possible way. The action sequences are so crazily framed with all these weird rotations, shots and attacks that don't make no sense, and one of the worst songs I have ever heard in my life, you have this guy who's doing this weird sort of behind the scenes rap rock song with this with him shouting it's the house of the dead i'm like oh my god it, i died i died and i recorded it on snapchat to send to my friends and they couldn't believe how bad it was it was pure pain and suffering and even though the film is only an hour and a half it feels longer because it drags so much oh I just, <laughs> I can't even find words, I'm dying again. So anyway, how does this compare to the games? Well, it certainly has zombies and people who are humans shooting them, but that's about it. 
take the house of the dead name away and this is just another crappy zombie movie the only visual homage that this film pays to the games is having the uh, game footage in the opening credits and then uses scene transitions as i mentioned before but house of the dead is another one of those video game films that runs into the same issue that we had with several of the other ones from the 90s where you don't have a substantial story to borrow from it's not like tomb raider or resident evil or metal gear solid games of that era that had story and substance that you could borrow from to turn into a film house of the dead is just an on-rail shooter which had a surprising amount of story spread out over cutscenes during your adventure you were a fbi agent infiltrating a building to save his partner from an evil scientist who was going to unleash zombies on the world now you hear that and it's like it's not too bad it sounds a little generic but there's something to work with there in my mind, I would have turned it into a sort of raid slash dread kind of story where you'd have the FBI agent along with a bunch of agents try to infiltrate the building and take out as many zombies as possible while working their way through the building to get to the main bad guy before he unleashed all the zombies and stuff like that. That's how I would have done it. Now I understand again, this was a limited budget film, but if you're going to take an IP, at least try to represent it properly, come up with something good or better, or don't do it all. This was a travesty and it hurt my soul. Alright, so now we're in 2004 and we have our return to the Resident Evil franchise with Resident Evil Apocalypse. Now while Paul W.S. Anderson didn't return to direct this film, he definitely stayed on to write and produce. The new director was Alexander Witt, and while this was his film debut, he had made a good name for himself being a second unit director and having a pretty strong filmography in several departments, especially the action genre. So he definitely felt in line with this kind of film. As for the story, it can be summed up as the following. After waking up in a hospital, just after the events of the last film, Alice must navigate Raccoon City which has become overrun with zombies. Now alongside a group of other survivors, she must escape the city before a nuclear bomb is dropped on it. And that's a way for me to summarise the plot without going into the air spoilers. The strange thing is about this film is that I don't hate it, and to a degree I kinda like it. That's not to say it doesn't have any flaws, but I feel like overall this is the kind of film that I wanted the last one to be. Something that's unique but borrows from the video games in a stronger kind of way. While the execution of this film overall is a little messy, I appreciate the effort and that's what makes this film stand out as probably my favourite in this series. At first the plot moves pretty swiftly and establishes a lot in a short space of time. In less than 10 minutes we see Raccoon City prior to the outbreak and how it started. The evacuation of a key scientist and his daughter who gets hit in a car accident en route in a separate escape car. We see the introduction of several new characters and we also see that where the last film ended with Alice in the street was a little ways into this film story which was pretty surprising. There are multiple characters in several situations dealing with the current circumstances. So you have Umbrella trying to seal up the city to contain the zombie attack. You have this new character, Dr. Ashford, who's looking for his daughter who's trapped in the city after a car crash. You have Jill Valentine, a newcomer who is an ex-cop who works for Stars, trying to navigate her way through the city with an injured friend. And you have the Umbrella soldiers that's dispatched to try and contain the outbreak but get overrun by the zombies. And then you have Alice who is fresh out of the hospital trying to navigate the city herself but also deal with the new abilities that she was given while she was in the hospital. 
I also liked how this film introduced us to Raccoon City as the concrete jungle. We got to see all the skyscrapers and all these different settings like churches and abandoned schools and all these other sort of locations that made a nice change of pace from the underground lab facility which certainly had its moments but I kind of got bored of that setting so being outside but also inside in various different locations that had you know different kind of scenery it was nice. I also appreciated this film's attempt at tension before certain attacks came out there was some nice suspense and there were also some moments where the film tried and I will say again, underline, try to have a little bit more depth with some of the character moments where in the church we found this priest who has a sister who's tied to a chair and he's been feeding her human flesh as she's a zombie but he doesn't have the heart to kill her. There were moments like that where I felt like the film was trying to reach for a little emotional depth and while it didn't have enough time in its 90 minute runtime to do that I did appreciate the fact that it was at least attempting this is one of those sort of films that while it runs at an hour and a half it really could have borrowed another 20 minutes just to flesh certain things out because maybe at like two hours you could have told a pretty feature complete story with a little bit more depth but I know that that's not what the aim of this franchise is it's always been action horror first and character material later on and the only significant person who matters is Alice so yeah as for the cast I thought they were alright they were given only a certain amount of stuff to do so yeah unless you were Alice you were sort of playing second fiddle to her Alice in this film she has a little bit more going on especially now that she's got her abilities and stuff but at the same time she's turned into a bit of a superhero so it sort of nullifies her as being a person that you can sort of relate to She's just running around flipping and dipping and doing all sorts of crazy action sequences. It makes everybody else look like a bitch by comparison. Sienna Gilroy as Jill Valentine, she has the look and I quite liked her. I just wish there was more for her to do. And Odette Fur as Carlos was pretty decent. He's not exactly the same as he is in the game, but I enjoyed having him in the film nonetheless. Thomas Kreshman, I hope I'm saying that name correctly. He's basically the guy who ended up in Avengers Age of Ultron as Baron Strucker. He was a pretty good villain character. I quite liked him. And then you had Jared Harris. I love Jared Harris. He's one of my favorite actors. Whenever he's around, he normally puts in a good performance. And I liked him as Dr. Ashford. Him on this little mission to try and find his daughter and help the uh, guys navigate their way through the city. I quite enjoyed that. I just wish there was more of him in this film. And then you have Mike Epps. I don't know what the hell he was doing in this film. He was literally just here to be comic relief and say all sorts of generic dumb black guy kind of things. Uh, he was just the man with all the joke lines. But I did chuckle when he ran over that one zombie and he said, GTA motherfucker, I was so, so stupid. <laughs> oh God, but yeah, that was that was kind of funny. As for the presentation, I felt like this one was pretty solid. Visually, the film has some good lighting, some nice use of color, and great atmosphere and camera shots during certain moments prior to zombie attacks. And again, you have scenes in uh, churches or the abandoned school that really help sell this sort of claustrophobic cinematic kind of flair to it. And um, yeah, man, it just added to the film experience and again, making it feel a little closer to the... Uh, to the video games as well. That being said, some of the action scenes in this film 
are so over the top and ridiculous. I appreciate the fact that these guys came up and choreographed this, but it felt like it would work better in a cartoon than a live action film. So as long as you're not applying logic to it, that's fine. But it's pretty much Alice doing a whole load of hand-to-hand -hand combat, like she's in a episode of Buffy or something, except everything is just so much more extra. And then you have the sound effects, which are so loud for some reason. A lot of the screams of the monsters or certain like sound effects sound like they were just there to do jump scares. But when people punch and kick, you've got a whole lot of... And I'm like, what the hell is this? What is this? It's more comical than like um, serious. And yeah, the CGI in this film was... It fluctuated between being decent to awful. And the same could be said for the makeup. While I appreciated how much was done practically, some of it uh, just didn't work as well as I think they could have done. As for how this film relates to the uh, games, like I said before, it definitely channels Resident Evil 2 and 3 in terms of its action, city-based locations, and the introduction of characters like Jill and Carlos. Jill looking pretty much straight as she did from the game, which was great. Carlos not so much. And then you also had the featuring of classic zombies like the uh, zombie dogs, Nemesis, who I wish was taller and had better makeup, but the fact that he, they did him practical was still pretty good. And of course you had the Lickers as well, who looked just as ugly as they did in the games, but in a good way. The CGI was a little wonky on them, but overall it was still pretty good. So yeah, Apocalypse, I know it's not the most popular film in the series, and I think I'll probably be the only one that appreciates it the most out of the six Resident Evil films that exist in the Paul W.S. Anderson universe, but I thought it was pretty solid. Alright, and now we move on to 2005 where we have Alone in the Dark, directed by our wonderful friend Yui Bowl. And yeah, ugh. This film I found to be a slightly better experience than House of the Dead, but only by the tiniest margin. The story was slightly better, the acting was slightly better, and the locations were a little more pleasing to the eye, although I have a bias because I used to live in some of those locations beforehand, or at least live in the same city where some of this stuff was filmed. But make no mistake, this is still a bad film. So what is it about? To give you the summariest of summaries, you have a detective who investigates the paranormal and he goes on a mission to find out what happened to a friend who recently died. This leads him to a whole lot of weird stuff dealing with ancient artifacts and demons and all this other sort of palaver that goes on. And that's basically a way for me to go into it but not go into it without hurting my head. The film starts out with the longest opening crawl in the history of existence and even though it has a voiceover that makes it a little easier to digest, it's not the best first impression. From there we have a plot that involves some intriguing elements to do with a bunch of children that were experimented on when they were young and ancient artifacts that could bring about danger and destruction. But at the end of the day this is a Yui Bowl film so it's still filled with a bunch of nonsense, dull dialogue, unnecessary elements that slow the film down and action scenes that are supposed to look cool but end up being more insufferable than anything else. And it's a shame because when you hear about the original pitch for this film with the script that the first writer did, it sounded like it could have been fun. The original writer explained that their first draft of the film was going to be closer in tone to the original HP Lovecraft tone that they established in the first Alone in the Dark game. And I would have loved to have seen that. However, what we have here is just more schlock nonsense with intriguing elements but poor execution. 
And it's weird to see so many notable actors in this film putting in such awful performances. Christian Slater, I like him. I know he's been in some questionable material beforehand, but, you know, he's he's normally a saving grace in a film but even here he was you know a little painful to watch this was also the first time i found tara reed tolerable in anything she wasn't great but again considering some of the other films that i've seen her in this was probably her, her most restrained and i appreciate that stephen dorff was in this movie which was really surprising to me i kind of liked him but you know again didn't care that much for him and yeah the action scenes in this film while there was a certain level of dynamic elements going on here especially with some of the visual effects a lot of it was just really strangely crafted some overuse of slow motion weird editing choices i'm just like what is this and then there's the music the film score for this film is overly down and depressing but not in a way that feels compelling and there's also a really awkward sex scene that utilizes a song from the 90s that i haven't heard since childhood but it was so awkward and it was just such a random choice during a sex scene. The sex looked weird and the song choice made it weirder. I didn't like it. A little in the dark, sweep it under the carpet and let's move on. Alright, and in the latter side of 2005, we had the release of Doom. Now, this is a film I'd heard about for a while in the topic of video game based films in the sense that this was one that attempted to borrow from the source material and translate it directly into film but had i guess mixed results but mostly negative so i was curious to see after all these years was doom really as bad as some people let, made it out to be and for me i was surprised by how much i liked this one it wasn't the best thing ever by any stretch of the imagination but it was a solid action film. I mean, even taking the Doom element out of play, I thought it was just a solid action film. Yes, it can be a little over the top. Some of it was just a little unnecessary, and some of the characters do lack a bit of depth and are like, you know, just, I guess, you know, your standard character stereotypes and archetypes that come with like Space Marines set on sci-fi action missions, but I had a lot of fun with it, to the point where I didn't actually write that many notes for it, so my thoughts on this will probably be brief, but I was surprised by the amount of notable people I saw in this film. I knew Carl Urban had been in this film for a while, the same with The Rock as well, you know, Dwayne Johnson, but I didn't know Rosamund Pike had been in this film, or my guy Dexter Fletcher was in this film as well, that was very surprising for me. But yeah man, I quite enjoyed the cast for the most part. Dwayne Johnson's like little squad of marines they were all pretty fun they all had their little quirks and I like their sort of little camaraderie I just wish there was a little bit more for these characters to do in terms of interactions and fleshing them out a little bit so that when some of them died I would have felt a little bit more for them but yeah overall the cast was still pretty solid as for the plot it was pretty straightforward where you had a group of marines who were sent on a rescue mission to a facility on Mars where they encounter genetically engineered creatures and that's pretty much it. You pretty much know where the story is going to go although it does have some nice unique elements that change things up just enough to have its own unique spin on things. I guess the best element of this film is its presentation. I really like the way in which this film looks. There's a sense of style and purpose to the way in which this film was shot. All of the locations have a very distinctive style. 
there's a lot of emphasis on color scheme, especially in some of the interior locations and some of the spots on Mars. The way in which these guys teleport from Earth to Mars is pretty crazy. And I like the design of some of the creatures. And there was some solid tension before some of the monsters ended up like, you know, coming on screen. The fact that they were unseen and you could hear them scuttling around and the tension building up before they ended up showing up was, was some good stuff. And yeah, maybe it's just the action junkie talking in me, but I just had a good time seeing how this film unfolded. As for how it compares to the games, I'm not too sure. Doom, I've never really known much about it. In terms of like first person shooter games, my childhood mainly consisted of GoldenEye, Perfect Dark, Quake 2 and Unreal Tournament. That's pretty much where that all ended. I didn't really jump into any other major franchises. I think maybe, possibly, I might have seen Doom 64 at some point, but I didn't really know much about Doom until the reboot came out in 2016, and then obviously we had Doom Eternal. So I'm more familiar with the recent side of Doom than the old school looking Doom, but I was aware of the first person sequence that mirrored the gameplay from the original games and I know there was a lot of people that either said it was a really exciting and good homage to the original games or some people thought it was cheesy over the top and just didn't need to be in there. For me I fall in the former department because while it does go on for a bit longer than necessary for them to actually you know incorporate that into the film and make it work as well as it did it was pretty kick-ass. Again, I would have sped it up a little bit and maybe had the sequence cut off by an extra, like, I don't know, minute or so, because some of it does feel a little long in the tooth, but yeah, still pretty solid. Alright, so now we move on to 2006, where at the start of the year, we were blessed with another film from our friend Yui Bo in the form of Blood Rain. Now, when I was doing my research for these films, I had to double check Blood Rain because I was like, I don't remember hearing about that game. But then when I actually saw what the game cover looked like, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. I saw it in Game Station and Game a couple times back in my teens. And, you know, the cover looked pretty cool. But then when I ended up seeing what the gameplay looked like this year, I was like, oh, I'm glad I never picked that thing up. It had an interesting concept, but just didn't have the gameplay and animation to pull it off. But yeah, what is this film about? It's kind of hard for me to describe, so I'm going to use an official description. So, in the 18th century, a vampire escapes from a freak show in which she used to participate in and teams up with a group of vampire slayers to kill the man who raped her mother. Now, that is one heck of a premise. Now, if handled correctly, that could make for an interesting film. But this is Mr. Bowl we're talking about, and he doesn't do interesting. Unfortunately, this film was ridiculous. It is cheap, nonsensical, and unsatisfactory on many levels, and while I didn't expect much from Mr. Bowl considering his previous entries, I had hoped that the change in setting and genre would make for a more enjoyable experience. But nope, this is another swing and a miss for Mr. Bowl and is probably worse than Alone in the Dark, but not nearly as bad as House of the Dead. Yeah man, the fantasy setting definitely makes you raise an eyebrow a little bit because it's like oh okay this is a little different from what we've seen before but as the story goes on you are treated to some truly awful dialogue a story that doesn't make a lot of sense and just a bunch of stuff that's happening where it's just like this is really dull and boring and even though the runtime is still within that sort of hour and a half ish mark it still feels like it's dragging its feet 
I didn't feel anything for the characters involved and I was surprised by how many notable people ended up being in this film. You have Kristana Locken, who most people would know as the female Terminator from Terminator 3, who I also know as Taja from Mortal Kombat Conquest. And then you have Michael Madsen, Sir Ben Kingsley, Michelle Rodriguez, and I'm just like, what are you people doing in here? There's even friggin' Meatloaf, and he's in one of the most unfortunate roles I'd ever seen a person in. He's just disgusting to look at as he surrounds himself with all these women, and he's just old and fat, hanging around these, like, sort of prostitutes, and it's just like, what is, what is this? It's unpleasant to my eyes. But yeah, everybody's acting with such a lack of energy and passion, and since they end up having to do a lot of fighting in this film as well, it doesn't look good none of these people are proper you know stunt performers and the fight choreography yeah you know what we're just going to move into the presentation department is bad the action sequences are bad it's poorly filmed poorly edited and the problem is all of these actors involved in these sword fights and you know uh, i guess bits of hand-to-hand -hand combat i guess they're just not performers in that department it doesn't look believable it's too slow and it looks so awkward it made me sad you know i just wanted the film to end i don't really have much more to say about it beyond that in terms of how it looks compared to the games the game had a much more interesting set of locations for you to go in and rain the main character herself she ended up having a lot more cooler abilities in terms of what she could do with her weapons, her agility, her ability to flip and fight people and suck their blood and stuff. She was a way more interesting character and I didn't see all of the gameplay from the original Blood Rain, but that had a way more interesting, you know, tone and setting and story that was going on when compared to this. This was a bloody joke. Also in 2006, a few months down the line, we were treated to an adaptation of Silent Hill based on the survival horror series of the same name that started in 1999. Now, unlike the previous entries on this list, this was a film I'd actually seen before. However, upon rewatching it a good few months ago, I realized that, yo man, I don't actually remember half of the stuff that actually happened in this film. So it was almost like watching it fresh. And after watching it, it became apparent to me straight away that this is one of those video game films where the presentation was spot on, but everything else, not so good. The problem was that while the story has certainly good elements in there and there were some decent things going on with some of the characters the execution starts to get really muddled it lags and then the ending just leaves you totally unsatisfied with what you watched so what's the plot about i'll summarize it in the following a woman rose goes in search of her adopted daughter within the confines of a strange desolate town known as silent hill and that's pretty much it from there we get a few introductions to certain characters there's a search party involving her husband and this weird cult that's in the town as well and you know some other shenanigans ensue and yeah tonally this film was great especially within i think the first half hour to 40 minutes i was very intrigued with the way in which this film was handling its material there were certain moments that were tense and mysterious and some of the scenery was really cool but as the story started to go on you actually learned what was going on with the cult and some of the more supernatural elements of this film it was just like it started to get really boring 
and convoluted and by the end of it there's just some really weird crap going on and you're just like what is this why is this as it is and since i know about the original silent hill this film version goes out of its way to get really freaky but not in a good way and you're just like why is this necessary you end up seeing some stuff visually that you wish you didn't and i'm just like what were you smoking or what sort of sexual desires did you have when you decided to do certain things like this when the script was penned and the director said yeah that's good put that on screen <sighs> i don't know as for the cast i felt like they were all sort of meh the main lady rose played by radha mitchell she was all right but everybody else was sort of yeah i mean sean bean wasn't bad but everybody else felt like they were sort of either overacting or just not overly interesting to me personally and yeah let's just move on to the presentation because again that was the strongest element of this film when you get into silent hill and see it change and evolve there's such a striking sense of dread with its imagery not only with its locations its color scheme the way in which it's framed and the use of certain monsters and creatures in there were really cool especially with some of the video game specific characters that they were able to implement in there it looked great although sometimes some of the sets could look a little fake and some of the weapons and certain things that are supposed to look heavy and realistic you could tell they were a little rubbery but yeah the presentation visually looked so good most of the cgi was appropriately sorted and ah oh man some of those interior locations were just really grungy and dirty and well crafted you could see that there was a lot of care and attention that went into the set design for this and the music was really good as well mainly because they borrowed akira yamaoka's original film score from the games and incorporated it into this with composer jeff danner so that was again one of the stronger elements of this film because while it had some of the elements of the original silent hill game in terms of a parent searching for their child within silent hill and discovering all sorts of weird stuff going on including the weird sort of zombie nurses and pyramid head you know that big triangle head dude with his big old weapon swinging that shit around that was cool but i don't think it was nearly as effective of what we got with harry mason in the original silent hill there was a certain level of depression there was a moody atmosphere and psychological horror that was going on with it especially with the way in which silent hill operates and messes with your head none of that sort of proper dread and fear and atmosphere that you got from the games properly translated into this film and i know they changed the protagonist around from being a male to female and changed a few things here and there but i don't feel what they changed was as solid as what we got before i could see the intent but the execution just wasn't there and our last film from 2006 is DOA Dead or Alive, based on the video game fighting franchise. Now, I was aware of this film's existence for a while now. I knew about its crappy poster, and I think I may have seen a trailer at one point, but I knew it was going to be bad, so I avoided it. But because of the contents of this episode of the podcast, I had to check it out. So I put myself through pain for you. And man, it was a painful experience, no doubt. What is this film about? Well, I can summarize it as the following. DOA 
also known as Dead or Alive, is an international contest where a bunch of martial artists were invited to fight in a tournament. Now, a bunch of the female protagonists start out as rivals, but then they end up working together to try and figure out this sort of secret that the organizer is hiding. And that's the best way for me to summarize the plot without going into the area of spoilers. This is a film with a simple story, but it's very, very unnecessary and absurd. A lot of it's like Enter the Dragon or Mortal Kombat from 95 in the sense that you have a bunch of heroes from various parts of the world coming together to fight in a tournament. However, something sinister is happening in the background and, you know, the participants will have to figure out what it is. This film has all the codes of conventions you've seen in other action films beforehand, but it's done to a lesser degree. Barely even five minutes into the film, you're introduced to a lot of really bad signs bad dialogue, dull character performances, and visual presentation that's over the top and badly crafted, and from there it just gets worse. There's a lot of moving parts to this plot, but it's underdeveloped or completely unnecessary. There's a lot of random character backstories, several undercooked relationships, and weird plot stuff involving fighters getting their techniques stolen through some science mumbo jumbo nonsense but a lot of the problems revolve around the script the dialogue is just plain generic and i feel like it's trying so hard to be cool like what a teenage boy thinks is cool but it's not there's a lot of really cringy and awkward attempts at humor or trying to be sexy and this film really focuses on the women's bodies and just men thirsting after them i'm just like isn't there something else in your plot that you could be doing? But yeah, uh, I just, uh, anyway, moving on from that. All the characters, if you can call them that, are horrible. No one is likable. All of them lack depth and just aren't all that interesting. Jamie Presley, who I like from My Name Is Earl, I think is probably like, you know, the least unpainful experience of this film, but that's about it. As for the presentation, it was bad all over the place. The action scenes were just... I could see what they were trying to do with emulating the classic style of martial arts um, films and trying to emulate the video game in certain areas, but it just didn't work. There were some decent action moments here and there, especially like the fight between Tina and Zack or Helena and the henchmen on the stairs, but in general, the action is just very plain, doesn't have any dynamic angles, and it just has bad editing and doesn't feel like it properly connects to each other you know just the fight choreography is just weak and it doesn't help that the actors seem so lethargic and lack any sense of urgency when they're doing it and there's also just some really odd camera shaking and really weird scene transitions with unnecessary cgi and slow motion Ugh. the slow motion fight between christy and helena reminded me of mortal kombat annihilation with sonya and i think think it was Jade or was it Melina that fights I can't remember that fight too well but it's just like this really slow motion fight where it's just two women getting all wet in the rain and it's just like I know what you guys are doing but it's bad you should stop as for how it relates to the games to be honest Dead or Alive was one of those four franchises I never really messed with save for I think maybe Dead or Alive 4 and 5 I only really know that a couple of the characters got some of their costumes that look kind of decent or they were cheaper looking imitations but yeah dead or alive if you can avoid it do so it's awful all right so now we're in 2007 and we return to the resident evil franchise with resident evil extinction which paul ws anderson returns to write and produce but we have a new director in the director's chair 
And with this one, we have Alice back again alongside a new group of survivors along with some other people from Raccoon City who are attempting to travel across a massive desert in order to get to Alaska to escape the zombie apocalypse. And that's the way for me to describe this without going into the area spoilers. For me, Resident Evil Extinction is a joke of a film. I feel like I'm getting dumber with every new entry, and this is only the third one. It gets worse from here. Extinction adds a new setting, larger stakes, and new obstacles for Alice to overcome. Yet it presents a bunch of new problems that make the story less believable, less enjoyable for me personally. So yeah, I did enjoy the fact that at first the film tried to fake you out with the opening that felt just like you were re-watching the first film. But then when you actually find out what's happening, you're just like, oh, ew, that's a little creepy. I appreciate it though, but you know, the, the film only gets worse from there. So the plot of this film mainly involves Umbrella trying to follow Alice and get like the cure from her blood because she was injected with the T-virus and she survived. And there's a bunch of clones and all this other sort of malarkey that just, uh, you know, just hurts my mind thinking about it a little bit. I did find it a little disappointing that we had the T-virus that looked like it was primarily wiped out, but then we hear via a voiceover that the T-virus spread all across the planet and wiped everything out and, you know, just ruined the planet of its resources. I felt like I was robbed of an interesting story that could have been played out over the course of a film. It's just so casually mentioned at the start of it. And I'm like, well, there's a whole chunk of movie that's missed. Why did we go from Resident Evil Apocalypse to Extinction's like, you know, weird setting? I feel like I would have liked to have seen that. But yeah, you know, we don't always get what we want. The film's attempt at humor is mostly terrible. And yeah, there's not really that much humor to begin with, but its attempts were pretty, pretty bad. And ugh. at this point, what is even going on with Alice? I mean, she was already an accomplished fighter and marksman, but when they injected her with the virus, she got superpowers and all these other things. But now she has the force and has the ability to lift objects with her mind and kill people through CCTV? Who the hell she thinks she is? Darth Vader? Oh man, just the way in which she's turned into like, you know, some sort of next level god character over the course of like the last few films and then as it proceeds throughout the sequels as well, it's just maddening for me. As for the characters, Extinction continues the film tradition of having characters with no significance or depth unless your name is Alice, otherwise you are of little importance. We have a few new characters introduced but they add nothing to the plot and their relationships, they want you to care about it but there's just nothing there. But the funny thing is, death isn't exclusive to the newbies, even established characters that showed up in the previous films end up coming here just to die so it's just like, what is the point? Like Mike Epps, for instance, how did that guy survive the last film and then end up here only to die? It's like, you shouldn't have been here in the first place. It's so dumb. As for the presentation, it's okay at best. While it's certainly larger in scope because of the road trips across the wasteland, I do miss the smaller, tighter feel of the city. The new setting definitely changes things up in the scenery and it gives me Mad Max vibes. But besides some cool spots in Las Vegas and the underground umbrella facility, the desert's pretty bland and repetitive. The visual effects are definitely bumped up here and it's definitely more evident for the crazy sequences with a bunch of CGI, especially all those CGI birds and weird tentacles and stuff. But yeah, I just found it like, you know, just a little over the top for my liking. And yeah, some of those action scenes 
are just as stupid as they were before with unnecessary slow motion, choppy editing during the fight sequences and, and you know, so on and so forth. In terms of how it relates to the video games, Claire's name is just randomly dropped and it's just like, oh, okay, just name drop one of the most significant characters in the most basic way you could. And Albert Wesker, while he's there, you know, talking in meetings in a, you know, substantial way to make it look like he's important, it's still just, you know, meh. This is the film that started to deviate away a lot from the source material in terms of its setting and going for that crazier, larger scale action feel. And I definitely missed the more self-contained material of the first three Resident Evil games. And by the time you got to Code Veronica, things are definitely expanded. It still felt, you know, self-contained and nice. And this film just didn't do it for me. Also in 2007, we had Hitman. And yeah, for a while I was aware of this film's existence, but back then I really didn't care about Hitman at all. It was just a game in a franchise that was so far from what I liked to play. However, having been interested in the Hitman franchise after about maybe 2012, and especially after the 2016 reboot, I believe was the year when he got rebooted again, I found myself intrigued to go back and check this out. And oh, the best way for me to describe my feelings on this film is that it's just there. While it's definitely not on the disastrous end of the video game adaptation spectrum, it's not that great either. So I can summarize the plot for this film as the following. Agent 47, a professional hitman who is engineered to be an assassin by a group known as the organization, and he becomes ensnared in a political conspiracy that finds him being pursued by Interpol and Russian intelligence. And that's the basic way for me to summarize this film without going into the area or spoilers. The world of assassination can be fascinating with all the secrecy, official and illegal organizations, the moral ambiguity of the people involved and the politics and shifts of power from those who put out hits to the people who are performing the hits. However, this film is just dull. While it certainly has a lot of the cozy adventures of a thriller, there's just nothing captivating going on. And I was also surprised by how much was going on in the plot and yet it was so muddled at the same time. I felt like the majority of the plot just washed over me and I was only really paying attention to the moments where Agent 47 and Nika were on screen. The cast were trying to do their best with what they were given but they just weren't cutting the mustard. Timothy Olivon isn't bad and he sells some of the action but he just doesn't have the intimidating presence or the stoic and calculated demeanor necessary for the role. And it also doesn't help that his character is just really boring. Nika is a character that we're supposed to root for, but I didn't really care about her. And to be honest, she's probably the best out of the cast as she's allowed to have at least a little bit more fun and is a little bit more humorous. And I think it's also because Oriko Lenko is a captivating actress and I quite like her. I just wish there was more for her to do in this film, to be honest. She's just there to be in danger, bitch at like age of 47 and occasionally be flirtatious. The presentation is okay, visually the film is a mixed bag, varying from decent to meh. The action has certain moments, like there's this one bit where Agent 47 goes up against a bunch of other hitmen with like, you know, a sort of uniquely choreographed action scene with knives, but again, it's not nearly as great as it could have been. And considering that we'd had a number of Bourne and James Bond films to show you how the spy genre could be done, this film is lacking severely in that department. As for how this film relates to the video games, 
I've never really played any of the Hitman games myself, but I do know where this film was drawing from in terms of its inspiration. At the time, I think the closest game that this film was drawing from was Hitman Blood Money. And while you can see certain allusions to the way in which this film makes Agent 47 run around and take guys out, I feel like there's such a level of stealth and subduing and costume changes and hiding people in places that just wasn't properly executed in the film. It just would have been fun to see some of those hallmarks properly implemented and see more of a sneaky assassin running around doing his thing. All right, and now we move on to 2008 where we have Max Payne based on the game of the same name that showed up in 2001 on the PlayStation 2. Now, I remember when this film was coming out and I remember seeing some of the trailers and thought, okay, this is looking pretty decent in terms of visual imagery, but I'm pretty sure this isn't for me. But I remember a friend of mine at the time who was really big into the Max Payne games was just like, yo man, this looks really cool. And I'm like, I guess this was my first time seeing someone's excitement for a fandom. I had no interest in it. So I was just like, yeah, you know, whatever. He lent me the game, I think within two years after the film came out. And I ended up checking it out and I was like, oh, you know what? The game's actually pretty good. Even though I played it years after its release, I found it still pretty engaging with its tone, atmosphere, the visual presentation, the music was good and the gameplay was really fun with the bullet time slow motion shooting thing. So I remember reading up about this film on multiple occasions, especially while I was in university. People saying it was like one of the worst adaptations that came out so far just because of how they changed a lot of the core elements of the game to suit the film and do some new things that just didn't work for fans. So I was like, okay, I'm curious. And then I saw the film and man, this film. The best way for me to describe it is that if you were to divorce the name Max Payne from this film, it would be a sort of decent action film at best. But as a adaptation of its source material, for me, it's an awful bastardization. The film starts out with a solid and intriguing introduction and then we go back in time to figure out how the character got into that situation. So yeah, I'm familiar with that sort of form of non-linear storytelling. As long as the story is interesting, then I have no problems. However, that initial intrigue turned into mild curiosity, then into slight boredom and then into irritation. And then I checked my timer on the film just to see how far I was into it. And this was only in the first 30 bloody minutes. I mean, the story at least has some interesting stuff going on related to the drug and how it messed with people and how it related to the Valkyries of Norse mythology. But beyond that, the story hit the same beats as any other revenge plot involving evil corporations. And the film plays out in a predictable fashion. And by the time it was over, I was left unsatisfied. It's not that I'm against films following established formulas of the film genres, I just want them to be entertaining, but I feel like this film's plot missed that point. I thought the cast of the film were pretty dull, none of them were likeable, nor did they have any distinctive personalities, there was no one to root for, so as this film kept going on I was just like, eh, you, huh, huh, huh. Mila Kunis, she looked cool, but I didn't like her character. Ludacris is in this film for some reason, and I just didn't care for his performance at all. I just found him to be a little over the top in that sort of generic detective man running around, you know, shouting all sorts of stuff. I'm angry because I can't catch this one guy. And then obviously you have Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg as the titular character, and I just feel like he was so dull. This is a character who's been through a lot of trauma and yet I couldn't connect with him at all. The performance was dull as 
hell. And then for some reason you have Aura Korolenko again in this film. She's the sister of Mila Kunis' character and she's essentially sort of playing the same sort of prostitute role that she had in Hitman the year before. So I found it interesting that she's running around again just, you know, playing the same sort of similar character which was odd to me. But yeah, I'm just like, ah, Olga, we could do so much more for you. I'm glad that things sort of turned around for her career once she ended up in Quantum of Solace, even though that film is great, she was pretty good in it. But anyway, I think the best element of this film was its presentation. That's the one thing that the film has going for it. I like the dark shadows, the shades of blue, the city at night looked really good, and there were a couple of scenes that really stood out, especially in the police station, and one moment in slow motion between Max and another dude where they recreated that sort of slow motion shot thing that goes on in the video games. And the film score wasn't too bad, although it was a little over the top at times. But now we go to how it relates to the actual games itself, and as I said before, I feel like it's a bastardization. It's a real shame because Max Payne was an important game for the sixth generation of gaming. Beyond being a really fun game to play with really good game mechanics, it was very ambitious. It had a captivating story with a cinematic quality not found in many games at the time. And the original game had a story with themes about revenge and pain and PTSD. And it really dived into that in a really deep and psychological way where you could feel it and dive into it firsthand. And while this film has the skeleton of the original game, it's like the filmmakers took the game, stripped it of its vital organs, and replaced them with different slash worse parts that were unnecessary and served no purpose. The new story lacks the subtlety and surprise of the original, instead goes for super basic and generic plot points, and it lacks the dark, moody, and dirty atmosphere that came with the original game. And I think they also ruined Max and Mona as characters. Max here is a wall that sometimes gets angry, but he just doesn't seem to have that same sort of charisma and funny elements that came with the character. The original Max Payne from the game was certainly cynical, pessimistic, and aggressive, but he wasn't a heartless man. He could smile, crack jokes, and establish connections with people in a cheeky way. He had a cheeky sense of humor that I felt was missing. And yeah, just... Gosh, his whole pain and suffering with the PTSD and stuff, that was great in the game and that was severely lacking in this department. And while I appreciated the fact that they tried to recreate the bullet time effect, it was barely utilized in a cool way. So I was just, you know, disappointed in that department. And of course, we couldn't talk about this film without talking about the whole way in which they took the drug element and then focused on these weird Valkyrie things. Now, while it was cool to see what the people on drugs were seeing, the fact that it became such a vital element of this film with these crazy visual monsters depicting heaven and hell and all this crazy CGI imagery, I'm like, this is taking away from the core elements of the plot that made the game so interesting. And I just thought it was such a waste of time and really, you know, just took away from the beautiful, serious plot of the original game for me. Alright, now we move on to 2009 with one of the most infamous video game adaptations in the form of Street Fighter The Legend of Chun-Li. Now, back in 2009, I saw how this film was developing, I saw the trailers, I saw that it looked like a pile of crap and then just moved on with my life. I heard about how bad it was. And in video game lists that I saw of bad adaptations, this one showed up multiple times. But I was like, I don't have to watch this. I'm smart. 
But then I decided to talk about video game adaptations and I knew for the sake of review, I had to jump back into the world of pain and good gravy, this film. Where do I even start? I think this might be the worst video game adaptation of all time. It was so bad that it offended me to a high degree. I haven't felt this kind of pain since I saw Assassin's Creed and that film was overly boring. But this film was boring but also killed the source material it was based on. So what is the story of this film? It basically revolves around Chun-Li and her quest for justice as she trains and hunts down her father's captor. And that's a basic way of summarizing the story without going into the errors of spoilers. The plot for this film plays out in a very basic way. You have a few flashbacks, a couple of montages, a loss of a loved one, and a quest for justice, and so on and so forth. You've been through these beats before, but it's just handled in a way that just can't be taken seriously with a script that is so generic and corny and has really bad dialogue. And uh, <laughs> uh, I don't want to talk about it anymore, but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna keep trying for you guys. But on top of all the stuff I just mentioned, I was 12 minutes into this film and I already wanted to check out. And the problem was it only got worse from there. There's a story in here involving a guy that wants to take his pregnant wife into a cave, cut her belly open with his hands and transfer his soul into the baby. Like, what the shining shag am I watching? There's also a choice to have Chun-Li narrate parts of the film that felt so unnecessary, like we were too dumb to understand what was happening. And just seeing the way this film played out, I was speechless, man. Just at the sheer audacity of what these people were trying to do, trying to elicit emotion from me that I didn't deserve, trying to take these chances with the source material that didn't need to be done. By the time it was over, I felt so much pain in my soul. I had to watch one of the most awkward dance scenes in a nightclub in the history of my life. Watch it online. While it doesn't have its original audio, look up Chun-Li dancing with some woman in this film. It is cringe. As for the cast, they were all awful. I'm sorry. The main lady herself, Kristen Craig. I butchered her last name, I apologize. I have no beef with her, but she was not captivating in the role. She definitely didn't look the part for me. She doesn't have the physical presence or prowess to pull off the moves that she needs. And I didn't find her to be that confident or captivating in the role. Her performance was just flat. And then you have someone like Neil McDonough, who I quite like as an actor, but his brand of villain in this film was just awful is over the top and just painful but not in a way that could be made fun of or like could be lightly entertaining like m bison from street fighter 94 this was just painful and then you have taboo as vega which ve ugh, awful bad i think the only person that i liked in this film was michael clark duncan as balrog now while he was definitely hamming it up you can see that there was an attempt to try and have some fun with the role and I think Duncan has always had that screen presence where he's so charming and fun where you can't help but like him when he's on screen so yeah he was definitely the saving grace of the cast. As for the presentation it was just bad. Visually this film lacks a visual flair, it doesn't have a distinctive style, all the action sequences were incredibly dull, dumb and the fight choreography was crusty. 
Besides Robin Show, who played Liu Kang from Mortal Kombat 95, everybody else in their action scenes just looks so awkward, stiff. They lack the energy. There's some really bad editing, wire work that just look kind of funky, and the visual effects, man. Uh, especially during some of these scenes where you're trying to see people shoot fireballs and stuff, it looked awful. And this film commits the same sin as House of the Dead by having a song named after the game slash film playing in the background. In the club scene, ho oh, oh, ho, no thank you. As for how this film compares to the games, it is awful. It is a travesty. I have no clue what the people were thinking when they decided to make this film happen. And the fact that Capcom signed off on this and allowed their logo to be put on it, shameful. The only near enough things that you could take from the games and do a sort of comparison with is Balrog. I think Michael Clark Duncan has the right physique for Balrog, but you know, he just didn't have a very distinctive look that looked like the boxer from the games. And Vega, while he had a mask and you know, the claws, his uniform was just like, I don't know, he looked like some guy that worked in a factory, had a really bad wig and you know, a mask and that was about it. Chun-Li doesn't look like Chun-Li, and M. Bison, that guy is just M. Bison in name only. There is no costume that looks even remotely like M. Bison from the games at all. Neil McDonough was just not even the right choice. Everything about the casting was wrong, their costumes was wrong. The attempt to even have, at the end of the film, a precursor to the first Street Fighter tournament was not deserved. This film, scum of the earth. Awful. <laughs> also in 2009, we have Tekken. Yes, based on the video game fighting franchise. Now, I ended up seeing this film before. I think back in 2019 or maybe 2018, I can't remember. But essentially, I remember at the time seeing the film and thought, you know what, this is kind of dumb and fun, but more on the dumb, sort of awful side, so I don't have to rewatch this again. But, you know, obviously because of the podcast, I decided to jump back in anyway. And the weird thing is, I kind of enjoyed this film more so than I expected. It's definitely more in the guilty pleasure department. And there is a lot of more awful elements that would keep me from rewatching this on the regular. But I could see the potential for this film. And under, like, you know, better guidance with, you know, a better script, a director and a cast that was, you know, not as, you know dull as what we have here there was potential for this to be pretty good but what we have is something that's dumb and fun with occasional moments of fun sort of sprinkled in so what's the plot of this film well like a summer up is the following the story follows Jin Kazama in his attempts to enter the Iron Fist tournament in order to avenge the loss of his mother and confront the people responsible for her death and that's the way for me to summarize this plot without going into the era spoilers a lot of the beats of this story follow that sort of tale of revenge that you have with main characters. You run into a bunch of people at a tournament, all of them are sort of weird, but you may have that odd friend and the coach that's like, you know, trying to guide you on your path to victory. Some revelations are discovered and yeah, you come out of the tournament a changed man and you probably win it. You've seen all this kind of stuff beforehand. It's just handled in a way that's very cliche and you know where everything's going. There is some interesting elements here and there which is unique to the universe that they've established but I don't feel they go far enough with it. And there's certain moments where you're supposed to care about certain character connections but because it wasn't written very well 
it's just like, uh, you know, I want to care more, but I don't. It also doesn't help that a lot of these characters are very flat, one-dimensional, and there's not really much to them. The main character played by John Fu, I've got no beef with the guy, but I found him insufferable. He's just this whiny little bitch who doesn't really like, you know, listen to his mother. He's running around doing all sorts of foolishness out beyond curfew with this post-apocalyptic world. And then when she dies, he finally cares and just decides, you know what, I'm going to enter the tournament and I'm going to become number one and confront the people that killed my mom. And I'm just like, oh, this guy, I don't care about him at all. He's poorly written and I just didn't care for uh, Fu's performance. Physically, when he's doing some of the battle scenes, it was pretty decent, but this guy's an idiot. And he constantly runs into this problem where he forgets how to fight during the film, so he ends up having to go into his mind palace to remember memories of how his mum trained him during battle, and that's how he turns the tide of battle. It's like he's, what, got this weird Naruto syndrome where he keeps remembering events of his past that haunt him during critical moments of the story which don't need to have that reminder. It's really odd. But yeah, I mean, everybody in this film is just sort of okay. But, you know, some of the performances are just really weird, especially from some of the side cast slash cameo based people there's people that have such flat delivery of their lines especially when they're supposed to be excited or happy everyone's just like yeah oh, yeah and i'm like what is this where's your energy you guys are all terrible <laughs> i think the best person in the cast is karyuki tagawa who yes played shang sung in mortal kombat 95 he played Heiachi in this film and he brought a certain level of gravitas to the role. He's not in it that much and he doesn't get to chew the scenery as much as he did in Mortal Kombat but his presence was definitely felt. Beyond that the presentation of the film was pretty solid. I liked the way in which this uh, film looked when the sets didn't look so small. This sort of future world that these characters live in has a sort of nice distinctive design that almost reminds me of Terminator and those sort of future scenes and the fight scenes they weren't too bad to be fair they're decently filmed and feature a uh, decent amount of uh, cool fight choreography although some of it does have like an overuse of slow motion and weird editing cuts and not enough long form like uh, takes where it's just one take of characters sort of exchanging blows here and there but you know it's okay I, I could deal with it Though we were treated to another awkward club dance sequence, though not nearly as bad as The Legend of Chun-Li, we did get to see Jin and Christy go to a club and then dance the night away and then just instantly make out. These guys were thirsty for each other, man. It was really weird to look at. As for how this film relates to the games, my knowledge of Tekken is very limited as I've only ever played Tekken 3 for Tag Tournament and a bit of number 5. But I could notice at least when it comes to the costume designs, they were pretty accurate to the characters, especially when you got characters like Eddie, Raven, Jin, and I think Christy as well, although Christy's outfit, bloody hell man, they let that ass crack just show up all over the place. And I'm just like, okay, you know, <laughs> all right, film, you're obsessed with her ass as well, the way in which you were filming her like that, but you know, it is what it is. But yeah, overall, Tekken, not too bad. Not the biggest pile of garbage. And it has some guilty pleasure fun in there, I'm not going to lie.
So now we move on to 2010 and we have Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Now, I remember when this film was coming out and there was a big deal being made out of this with it being like, you know, one of the next major films to be turned into a franchise by Disney. This was based on a very notable franchise that a lot of people played, especially when it comes to the Ubisoft games. You had a pretty noteworthy cast being added to it, including Jake Gyllenhaal, Gemma Arterton, Ben Kingsley, Toby Kebbell and Alfred Molina. This was all pegged to be a very big thing. And then the film came out and I'm pretty sure most people didn't like it. And then we just didn't talk about it again. And then I remember going to uni and my friend told me that he went to see it and he was completely disgusted with it. And I think that's just because he was a really big fan of the games. And to be honest, I never played any of the Prince of Persia games. I saw them in magazines, but it just never looked like my cup of tea. But I've always been curious about this film because I'd heard so many bad things about it. So I was just like, is it really that bad? So I went to watch it last week and you know what? It wasn't that bad. It wasn't great by any means, but it was a solid adventure film with not as many crappy elements as the video game films that I've had to endure prior to this one. I feel like with some tweaking, especially with the script and streamlining certain things and improving some of the characters, this could have been a pretty captivating film on its own, devoid of the Prince of Persia title itself. But yeah, man, I had a good time with it. So the plot for this film can be summed up as the following. A young fugitive prince and a princess must stop a villain who unknowingly threatens to destroy the world with a special dagger that enables the magic of sand inside to reverse time. And that's basically the way for me to sum up this film without going into the era spoilers. This film swallows certain cozy adventures that you've seen in action adventure films before, like the unlikely hero who's not of royalty, you had the princess who has a special task that needs to be done, you have these two main characters from different worlds who end up butting heads but end up falling for each other at some point, you have a villain in the shadows who is easy to notice who it is if you know who the actor is and certain elements that come to pass at the end of the film where you're just like well i guess that's the only way that this film was going to end up when you're dealing with time travel things can get a little messy and this film sort of ended up in the way in which i expected although once some of the time travel elements had come into play and you're trying to wrap the film up. I wasn't overly keen on how it was done just because it seems so illogical that people would believe an opinion of somebody without proper proof and without like a good case. But yeah, you know, it is what it is. I felt like the sense of adventure for this film was pretty good. The moments of humor sort of fluctuated, but it was decent, especially when Alfred Molina was involved. And I did like this sort of epic quest adventure that this film gave off. I just wish it was written better because there are certain situations where you're supposed to care about some of the characters involved. There's a family dynamic where the relationship between brothers and their father is very important and integral to this film and they want you to feel a lot more than you do but it just isn't executed well enough so that you know there's certain moments where death is involved or certain people are in peril and you you're expected to like feel for these people but it's just not the foundations are not there the relationships haven't been built so when you're watching it it's just like i wish i could feel more but i do not i think the film's strongest element is its presentation the film looks wonderful some of those uh, desert settings which i think were filmed in morocco they look wonderful 
The exterior and interior locations all look very nice with the use of color and lighting and dark shades that's all very good the cgi was also pretty decent as well and i quite like some of the action scenes although some of the action is so overdone the hand-to-hand -hand combat with the sword play is awful it's overly edited has unnecessary uses of slow motion and is poorly framed i just didn't like it but the music on the other hand that was handled by harry gregson williams it was wonderful definitely invoked that sort of sense of adventure and desert based adventures that sort of reminded me again of the mummy and some other classic films where you're based in the desert it was really good i quite liked the film score a lot as for the cast i thought they all did a decent job considering the script that they were working with i quite liked jake gyllenhaal and his accent wasn't too bad as dastan Gemma Arterton, she didn't really have as much to do as I would have liked, but I thought she was solid. Both Arterton and Gyllenhaal, they have an awkward kind of chemistry, where you can see something's there, but I just wish it was written better. Ben Kingsley, he's Ben Kingsley in this. If you've seen him in any other films, you know exactly how this is going to play out, but I thought he was fun. Alfred Molina was my favorite part of this film. He's so fun and over the top and casual and silly and snarky. I enjoyed him a lot in this film and then there's toby kebble who was just needlessly aggressive running around shouting his head off <laughs> I, was, I was like what is you what are you so angry about calm down but yeah prince of persia not bad and now we move on to our final entry for this podcast episode the form of resident evil afterlife which showed up in 2010 and found our boy paul ws anderson stepping away from just writing and producing and stepping right back into that director's chair after two films of absence and in this film we have alice still on her mission to take out the umbrella corporation she joins up with a bunch of survivors who are in a prison surrounded by infected people so she wants to help them relocate to a mysterious location that's supposedly unharmed and safe known as arcadia and that is the summary for this plot without going into the era of spoilers i enjoyed the fact that this film started out in a new location with alice infiltrating the japanese umbrella facility along with her crazy army of clones it's over the top and strange but it was also pretty cool to see umbrella's forces fight back but they started to get overwhelmed so wesker basically just escapes and blows up the japanese facility i'm just like damn okay you have my interest. So after the confrontation with Wesker on a helicopter results in her powers being neutralized, somehow Alice is still able to go on a new mission with her old friend Claire Redfield and find Arcadia with a bunch of new characters, which just, okay, that plot armor is keeping you alive, Alice. So the dumb adventures of Alice continue. And at this point, you kind of just get used to the mind numbing nature of these films, because if you don't, it will cause you great harm. And yeah, I mean, the more I see of this series, the more I wish that the apocalypse storyline that they have been going with since number three had just been abandoned altogether. That the filmmakers had made better use of their previous characters and allowed some of these people to translate over through films as opposed to just killing them off. And that the filmmakers would stop this sequel baiting with each new entry. Nothing ever has a proper conclusion. Now granted, as a series, you're expected to go about and at least leave the window open for a future film but to end this film specifically in a way where it's directly opening a door for a sequel 
I was just like, nah, I'm, I'm not overly keen on that. And it's funny, for as widespread as this virus is, we always seem to come back to America like it's the only location that exists. As for the characters in this film, you had the return of Ali Lahr as uh, Claire Redfield, but I don't feel like she was properly utilized as well as she could have been. The same can be said for um, Sienna Gilroy, who returns as Jill Valentine, but she's mainly just there to be mind control for a while and then finally get back to who she is a little while after that. You also had the introduction of Wentworth Miller as Chris Redfield, and while he doesn't have the physique of Chris Redfield that I would have liked, seeing Wentworth Miller and things is always just a good time, so I enjoyed that. I really wish they had played up the fact that Chris and Claire Redfield are brother and sister and they have a bond. There's just no proper sense of connection between any of these characters. They're all just, again, a basic set of people that just don't have any significance. Sean Roberts as Albert Wesker is okay, I guess, but that's about it. As for the action, which I think at this point was the main feature that a lot of people were paying attention to, there were so many weird moments of silly acrobatics, hand-to-hand -hand combat with a ridiculous amount of slow motion. The slow motion is like there in every other scene. It's become as integral to this series as it is for Zack Snyder to include in his films as well. And it's just like, what is going on? But then after a while, I just sort of said, you know what? No, I'm thinking about this too much. I'm just going to have to turn my brain off. But it's like, this film wants to be The Matrix so bad, but doesn't have the choreography to pull it off, unfortunately. And the music choices? Ugh. This film sort of has a uh, soundtrack composed of a lot of rock and metal that sort of felt like it was during that early 2000s period. Some of it I kind of liked, but it just felt out of place for this kind of film, you know. It felt like someone making a music video, or like one of those sort of uh, music videos you'd find on YouTube back in the day. As for how this film relates to its video game department, besides the introduction of Chris Redfield, there's not really much else. Most of this film series now is all of its own design just occasionally introducing video game related characters but not making good use of them so there is that whoo all right and that is me done for this episode i apologize for this episode being as long as it was i tried to keep things as condensed as possible but as you might expect talking about all these different films with their varying degrees of quality some of which really piss me off there's a lot to be said but yeah, man, if you've seen any of these adaptations, let me know in the comment section below which ones do you like, which ones do you dislike, and would you like to see any of these attempted in another reboot form? Let me know in the comment section below, or holler at me online where I'm at Hypersonic 55 or at Film Focus 55 or on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and all those other good sound places. Give us some good ratings and increase the popularity of the podcast, please and thank you. And yeah, hopefully it won't take me too long to get around to doing part three because for me, this is where things get a little easier as the modern era of video game films has a lot more effort put behind it with filmmakers I know, some of which I trust, some of it is still kind of crappy, but it's not nearly as bad as the stuff that we've endured today. So hopefully you'll be sticking around with me when we get around to that. So yeah. Thank you for listening as always, ladies and gentlemen. And until the next time, this is the Hypersonic 55 signing out. Peace.